That, that's you guys, by the way. I just want to say that I love my church. And that, that's you guys, by the way. I love you guys. You guys are just awesome. It is great every Sunday to see you guys and throughout the week and to be encouraged by you. It's such a great group of people. But I do want to highlight just some of the people that I really, really love uh, that helped do this. Was that worship experience great? Give that worship team a great said, you can talk to Shane. <laughs> so I took the call thinking, this is going to be good. And he's like, I want to meet you face to face so we can have a conversation. And immediately I'm thinking, okay, pick a public place. <laughs> Tell people where you're going. Bring a buddy. You know, I'm a little worried about this. I had a lot of a, a kind of a, a set assumptions of what a Muslim would do. But we set time to meet, and we gathered together. And the more that I talked with him, we talked for probably over a year, year and a half, where we dialogued about his faith, and he had questions about Christianity. And we talked, and the realized that the more I got to know him, believe it or not, the more I liked him. You see, I liked someone who really disliked the church. He grew up uh, in the church, had a really negative experience, but he found what he was looking for in life in a gathering of Muslim believers, and they accepted him. And he, when he dived into that, he had several questions. And so we would read the Bible together. And when I went out and I bought a copy of the Quran so that we could read that together. And we dialogued for a while. But the more that I dialogued with him, the more I realized, I like this guy. 
And I ended up moving to another church. Uh, and our friendship kind of ended when I moved. But I wondered if I would have stayed in that area, would we still be friends today? Because we went and saw movies together. We dialogued together. I actually went to his uh, mosque or masjid, and, and, and I saw how he worshipped. And in that experience, I really found out that I liked that. You see, I grew up in a church that taught me that I wasn't allowed to associate with people that were not like me in my church. In fact, this is what I was taught. I was taught that if you hang out with garbage, you start smelling like it. If you hang out with the sinful people, you will rub off on you and you will become sinful. So stay away. Stay with your own clan. And in my world, we kind of built up these parameters. And part of it was the church that I grew up in. Part of it was the upbringing that I had. Part of it was my parents that kind of built these parameters that told me not who I was, but who I wasn't allowed to be with. This is some of the things that I've taught. Maybe you can relate to some of these in your church breaking, upbringing. This is what the church taught me. They were taught not on, on things that we believe, not about Jesus or, or who he was or what he did in our life, but taught us about things that we weren't allowed to do. Like, weren't allowed to drink. Weren't allowed to play cards. Weren't allowed to wear jewelry. Weren't allowed to dance. Weren't allowed to get tattoos. Weren't allowed to smoke, chew, or go with girls that do. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to do anything but go to church on Sunday. That was my realm. And I had to find people that lived inside that. If not, their garbage, their sin was going to rub off on me. I was taught in this area that these guys set up these fence. There was this little playpen that I could play in in my own church experience. And in that, these are the people that were outside the playpen. People that I weren't allowed to be with. People that I was taught to hate. I was taught that anyone who had an abortion or abortion doctors, homosexuals, because I was free Methodist, Baptists and Catholics, <laughs> immigrants, or as we like to call them, illegal aliens, any country who fought against America or Israel, certain genres of music, especially rap, the lottery, R-rated movies, and Democrats. <laughs> All of those were outside my playpen. And the wall existed that those people I wasn't allowed to go associate with. I wasn't allowed to go be with. I wasn't allowed to, to go and, and hang out with or befriend. But when I went to college, I went to a very strict college that taught some of the, the same things, and I began to wrestle with that. And after I left college, I decided that I wanted to see those people out there. And the more that I got to know those people, like my Muslim friend, the more I realized I like them. I like people that don't like church. I like people that don't believe and play in the same quote-unquote theological playpen that I play in. I like them. I like them sometimes more than the people in the church. So what do I do with this? Well, I wrestled with this for a long time of how I do it. I would kind of be, kind of hide it, right? Don't tell everyone that you're going to lunch with the Muslim. Don't tell everyone that you're having a meeting with someone in a bar. Don't tell everyone because I'm afraid that, that it would get hurt. Like the, 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 the judgment would come down upon me, right? 
But then I realized I like these people. And I think in a church, if you talk about the church of Jesus, it really compels us not just to live in our own playpen and exist in our own walls, but to go beyond that. But there are people that Jesus loves outside of our little idea of what church is. And as a church that follows Jesus, a church of Jesus people, a church on a Jesus purpose, we're kind of compelled, we're kind of encouraged to, to, to do what we can to bring those in. You see, there's this understanding in Scripture that, that really kind of unpacked this for me, kind of, kind of helped me drill down a little bit on this concept. And it's actually uh, more about an individual in the Bible than it is about any kind of writing or verse or Bible passage. And the person that I'm talking about is actually someone who was on the outside of faith looking in. He, was, he didn't grow up as a Jew. He didn't, he didn't understand what Jews did. And then all of a sudden he becomes one of the prominent authors of the Jesus story and the early story of the church. I'm talking about a person that we refer to as Luke. He wrote a, a gospel of Jesus, and then his second volume in that two-volume work was what's called the Acts of the Apostles, which talks about this Jesus church that kind of explodes and takes off. And this person was not a Jew. He grew up as a Gentile. He was smart. He was actually a physician. He was educated. But he was always on the outside looking in. And as I read the stories, of, as I read through the book of Luke and read through the book of Acts this week, I was compelled to, to, to pick out this one kind of concept that I can't help but kind of figure that Luke has a reason why he's using this word. And so it's a word that you've already heard of. In fact, Pastor Jeff referenced it last week in the parable of the prodigal son. Who's here has ever heard that story? The parable of the lost son. If you remember this story, the... The father has two sons. One is a prodigal or a wandering son, a wasteful son. He goes and takes his portion of the inheritance and, as the text says, spend it on wild living. And then he wastes all his money and comes back. And here's the word, is, is the father get this picture of him scanning the horizon, scanning beyond the playpen, so to speak, scanning beyond the barriers, beyond the hurdles, beyond the walls, looking for his son to come home. And it says, well, while he was far away, the text says, while he was far away, the father sees him and goes to him. Now, this word far away is commonly used. It's kind of a plain term in Greek. It's the word macros. It means long or a distance. But, but what Luke does with it is he takes this term and applies it to an individual, applies it to a person. And he talks about how the son who's coming home was far away from his father, but the father went to him. Well, this is an interesting concept, right? And it's a story that Jesus is telling. I don't think there was actually a guy who lived who had two sons. And it's just a parable, right? But then, later on, Luke brings this word back. And I think in his own experience, he's, he's telling, he's speaking out of his own experience of being an outsider coming into the church. And he talks about the, the incidents of the birthday of the church. You see, the, the, the disciples gathered, and they all gathered, gathered in Jerusalem based upon Jesus' instructions in the second chapter of Acts. And while they were there, 
The Holy Spirit came down upon them, and the self-proclaimed spokesperson from the group, a guy by the name of Peter, gets up and he preaches. And as he preaches, under the power of the Spirit, he speaks to all the Jews that have gathered there. Now, this is a Jewish holiday. It was a Jewish pilgrimage holiday, meaning all the Jews were required to travel from wherever they lived, Africa, Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Iraq, wherever they lived. They had to gather back into Jerusalem to settle in this place. And while they were all there, scattered over, the, over all of this, they're all gathered, they're all Jews. Peter gets up and references this Jesus. This Jesus who died and rose again. In fact, this is what he says. Let's pick it up here. He speaks to them and he says, repent and be baptized. But not repent and be baptized in the old Jewish faith. Don't re-up in your Judaism. He says this, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is in the shadow of the temple. He's saying, you don't need to go there and offer a sacrifice anymore. You don't need to go there and talk to a priest about your sins and have him work it out between you and God. You just go to Jesus. And he pays the price for your sins. And you are forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers you. And then he says this, this promise, this truth, this, 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 this option to join this Jesus movement is for you, for your kids, meaning it, it passes on. It's not just for this present generation. But then he says this, and for all who are far off. This is the same word as the prodigal, as the father sees the prodigal on the horizon. The far off ones. It's not just for everyone who's in and all your kids. It's for anyone who's on the outside. It's anyone who is over there. Anyone that we have set up in our own constraints of what church is and who the church person needs to look like. And then the people that don't look like that, what he's saying is this promise is for everyone inside the pen, all your kitties, and everyone outside. Wow. Wow. Well, the story kind of continues, and I believe, again, that Luke's unpacking this concept in a very profound and powerful way. And he, and he translates it to another way. You see what's happening in this moment, the very first kind of struggle with this idea of who's in and who's out, who's allowed and who's not allowed was based not upon uh, what we did, but based upon your upbringing. In fact, this is how it traces out later in the book of Acts. This is the very end of the book of Acts. And we have another character who picks up this kind of wording. And this character is a guy by the name of Saul who changes his name to Paul. And Paul in the, it becomes one of the, the principal missionaries in all of the, uh, in all of the new church reaching out to people outside the pen. And at the very end of his life, he's under trial for doing these things. And the Jews have risen him up for trial, and he's going to actually be transferred to Rome and imprisoned and ultimately killed. But before he leaves, he gathers everyone together in kind of this trial, this courtroom setting, and he kind of gives them his life story. And he says, hey guys, I used to persecute every one of you Christians, every one of you who followed Jesus. I was there 
persecuting you. And while I was on my way to persecute this particular person and the Christians in Damascus, God seriously knocked me off my horse, blinded me, and spoke to me. And he said, go into Damascus and find the person that you're supposed to persecute. Let them pray over you. Let them, let them receive the healing for your blindness. And when you have new eyes, look for my faith and my truth to carry it out. And he goes back to Jerusalem, and while he's praying in Jerusalem in the temple, after he re-ups himself to Jesus, God speaks to him again. And in Acts chapter 22, we have the end of the story where he says this to Paul. The Lord said to Paul, go, and I will send you to the Gentiles. But not to the Gentiles, to where? Far away to the Gentiles. Now, were there Gentiles around him? Yeah. Were there Gentiles hanging out in Jerusalem? Yeah. They're not far away. Why is Luke using this particular wording? Why? Because he's referencing an individual. He's referencing a group. He's referencing these far off ones. The Gentiles. Those that didn't grow up in a Jewish, in a Jewish faith. You see, they, they were wrestling with this idea of should all the Gentiles first have to become Jews in order to become Christians? And he's saying, no, just go and welcome them in to the faith of Jesus that is new and exciting and has opportunity to save their lives and transform them. So this is an interesting concept to me. And I know that in our world, let me say that this particular phrase, we put that verse back up there, is, is what has allowed you to follow Jesus. This is, the, this is the beginning framework of your inclusion into the Jesus movement. If Paul doesn't go to the Gentiles, if Jesus doesn't compel him to move beyond the playpen, we don't ever get in. We're never here because the same church that was, that was brought over at Pentecost through Peter and ultimately expanded to the Gentiles with Paul, thousands of years later, it makes it to Davis in Michigan. And you are included in this faith because you once were a far off one. According to this concept, you would be outside the pen. But because of the work that the church did, they included you in. Now, in our days, I think we've got the Gentile thing down. I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. We then welcome all them Gentiles, right? Everyone's allowed in. But we still set up our fences in all borders. It has nothing to do with your upbringing as far as Jew versus Gentile. In fact, it has to do with something else. And I'd like to kind of understand where our fences are, but the hard part about that is they also kind of seem like they're sometimes blind spots for us as a church to understand who we're going to exclude and who we're going to include. So there was a great study that came out where they interviewed over thousands of people who hated church or on the outside of church. It was a book called Unchristian. And if you read through that book, there are six main themes that these people on the outside looking into the church feel how the church is operating, feel how the church feels towards them. The first thing is hypocritical. The first kind of fence is that they feel that the church is hypocritical. In other words, I know you go to church on Sunday, and some of you go to church on Sunday night, and some of you go to church on Wednesday, and some of you pray throughout the week, but I also know how you are at work. 
And I also know how you are as a neighbor. And what you do on Sunday when you dress really nice and you put on that tie and you look really good throughout, throughout the week, you act totally different. There's something missing there. And it's almost like not just a hypocrite, not just the same, but it's almost like what you do on Sunday makes you better than me. But you think I'm better. Do you know that, we're, this is a sidetrack, you know that our very uh, first part of our Free Methodist Church, we encourage people to dress down to church? Why? To make people on the outside go home. Number two, too focused on converts. Too focused on, just get them to come to church, let the pastor preach hell and brimstone, open up the altar, sing just as I am about 12 times, let them come down, let them kneel on here, we pray the little sinner's prayer, we'll wait a man, thank you ma'am, God bless you, move on, praise the Lord, the Christians. Or better yet, we send a, we send a tracks out. Do you know, yesterday, I'm not going to tell you which community church did it, they left a track on my door that I might know the way to accept Jesus. I didn't know if they knew it was a pastor's house, or maybe they knew it was the pastor's house, and I'm thinking, that pastor, Davidson Breakfast Church, that he means Jesus. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite track is when I walk into the bathroom of a public place, and I look down, and there's a $20 bill. And in my mind, I'm wrestling with the idea, is it worth grabbing a piece of paper off a dirty bathroom floor to grab this 20 of course, I grabbed the 20, right? I'll wash my hands. It's $20. I reach down there, and I grab the 20, and I open it up and says, oh, this is not real money, but I can give you something so much better, a relationship with Jesus. I flushed that 20. No one else is going to be spoiled by that. We're so focused on converts. We're so focused on, on all we got to do is get you in. And we don't bother to spend a relationship. We don't bother to get to know people. And the people outside feel that. And it does us no help. We're anti-homosexual. Oh my gosh, I could talk forever about this. But this is what we are seen as inside the church. We're seen as sheltered. We're seen as those are the things that you can't do. Don't do that stuff. But they don't ever experience the, the positive things on the outside. And you teach your kids the same way. We're too political. Just get on Facebook, guys. You find tons of Christians that are overly political, that take their faith, the faith of Jesus, into the realms of politics that I don't know, I don't know if they always mesh up in the lines that you think they are. And we're judgmental. Oh, are we judgmental? Oh, are we judgmental? So what do we do with this? Well, the good part about it is, is the early church wrestled with this as well. The early church wrestled with this particular idea of how do we bridge the gap? How do we go beyond our wall, break through our walls, and go to the people, to the far-off ones? So what happened? Just like any other time in church, when they can't get along, what do they do? They call a board meeting. And so the very first church board meeting in Acts chapter 15, they gathered all the people. They invited Paul and Barnabas, who was out there leading and, and, and leading people into faith that were Gentiles. And they called in Peter, and they called in James, all the big wigs. Everyone gathered together in Jerusalem. And this is what, how the story goes. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that had done through them. This is Paul and Barnabas. 
than some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, some of the people who grew up inside the pen, that grew up in this Judaizing kind of faith that became Christians, said, here's the problem. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. In other words, they have to become Jewish before they become Christian. They have to believe everything in Moses and the temple and follow all the laws. Then they become Christian. Then they can follow Jesus. And then they said, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. I love verse 7 here. After much discussion, doesn't that sound like a horror meeting? <laughs> Peter got up and addressed them. Now this is Peter. This is the same Peter who preached this, preached this uh, amazing inclusion uh, sermon years ago. And he references here. He says, Pitt brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. See, Peter not only spoke it there on the beginning, on the birthday of the church, but he also had to wrestle with it. And God had this beautiful vision that they gave him to actually go to someone who was not a Jew and preach to them and accept them into faith and don't make them a Jew before they come in. And when he did that, the Holy Spirit showed up in that person's household, saved the whole family. It was like Pentecost 2.0, and Peter walked away thinking, what did I just see? So now he's referencing this with the people here in Acts 15 at this first board meeting. He says, God's already made it clear that the Gentiles should be brought in. Then all of a sudden, when they finished, James spoke up. Now the only person right now that probably has more clout or equal clout with Peter is James, the brother of Jesus. James has risen, risen to prominence as kind of the lead pastor, kind of pastor emeritus of the Jerusalem church. And so when James speaks, everyone listens. When he grabs the microphone, everyone stops. Because this is going to be something important. And this is what he says. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simon described to us how God first inter intervened to choose a people from his name, from the Gentiles. Then he says this. Guys, this is so huge. Verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the far off ones to turn to God. We should not make it difficult for those outside our religious playpen to make them turn to God. That's it, guys. Don't make it difficult. Well, that sounds like a great sermon. Let me give you some examples of how you might want to live that out. Not to make it difficult. I got four things, and uh, uh, they're not on the screen, so you're just going to have to listen. Number one, don't be afraid of questions. Don't be afraid of questions. Do you know that the people outside the church and our church experience have tons of questions? Like, what's this weird thing where you guys come and you say, like, this the bread is really like someone's flesh, and then the juice or the wine turns into blood? That's creepy. Well, what's going on with that? Or they say, you sing this song like, there's power in the blood. Oh, there's power. Is that a Halloween song? <laughs> That's creepy, right? Or you get together and all you do is talk about love. Love this, love everyone. Listen, I don't even say the word love and I go to some church and all they do is talk about love. That's weird. Talk to me about this. 
I got a question about this. Or you get to church and all you do is sing songs? I don't even sing in the shower. You want me to come and sing? Why? Don't be afraid of the questions. Do you know that my Muslim friend asked me question after question after question after question? I didn't have the answers, but I said, I'll, I'll, I'll research it the best I can. I can figure it out. We can figure it out together. And I never dismissed him. I never said, how dare you ask that question? Be gone. Oh, why would I say be gone? But that's just <laughs> The second thing is to be, it goes with the questions, but be quick to listen and slow to get angry and slow to judge. So, so important. Let me tell you, when I went with my Muslim friend to, to his masjid, and I sat there on the floor, and the Imam got up there and started to speak. And, and everyone there was, was Muslim except me. And he starts preaching in English, and I hear the word infidel, and the finger goes right towards me, and I'm like, yep, I'm an infidel. And I felt very awkward, and I felt very attacked, and I felt very worried. But then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to storm out. Dare you? I sat there and listened. Sat there and hung out and had lunch with them afterwards. See, check your emotions. Check your reactions. <coughs> Don't make it difficult for them to turn to Jesus. The third thing I would say, third thing I would say, is to be intentional about getting to know people who are outside the faith. Let me tell you, some of you guys have no problem with this because you live around them and you, and you work with them and you have that great experience. Let me tell you, as a pastor, this is incredibly difficult because my world, my work, my job, my family is all within the pen. And so I've got to be very creative. And I know some of you guys make fun of me, but let me tell you, that's why I play Pokemon Go. Is I go outside these walls and I have met great people that would never ever come into the church. Except maybe if there was a Pokemon Go party. <laughs> and I don't never drop them a track, you know? You gotta catch them all for Jesus or something. <laughs> I just welcome them. And I love them and I get to know them and I hear their stories and I share my stories. And we're friends. And I connect with them, right? I be intentional about meeting people outside my circle. I spread myself out. Why? Because I like them. They're cool people. There's nothing wrong with them. They're awesome. Why would I not want to be their friend? Final thing, final thing, is invite those people that God has laid on your heart into a low church experience here. That's why we do these. That's why we do these big events where we do low church stuff. We don't talk about a lot of churchy stuff. It's very open. Actually, we're having one come up. Can you put that slide up for our family, our, our flannel fest coming up here on October 20th? It's come comfortable to church. Who here has ever heard of an experience where someone has gone to church and been uncomfortable? Some of you are uncomfortable right now. I understand. <laughs> well, this is a, a come, yeah, come to the parent and volunteer lunch afterwards. No, no. come comfortable to church. Right? Come comfortable. Why? Uh, you know, some of you guys look great in flannel, but some of you don't. We don't do it because we're looking good in flannel. We do it because we want to have an idea to welcome people into this place. So use that as an opportunity. Some of you, some of them aren't even ready for that. 
Some of you, you know these people, they're outside the church, you like them, you want to invite them in, you want them to experience what a Jesus community can do for them. You want to experience the changing, transformation power that Jesus has for them. And so you want to invite them to church. Some of them won't even accept that. Keep being their friend. Keep reaching out. And when they're ready, you invite. And you bring them in. Isn't that great? All right, so I've got... I've got two minutes, and I'm going to give you a case study in Jesus, okay? And you guys can vote on which case study you want to hear, okay? So who here wants to hear Jesus' view on greed or Jesus' view on adultery? <laughs> How many of you vote for greed? How many of you vote for adultery? Some people don't care when I'm both. We'll give you one. We'll give you one. I did, I did greed in the first service. You guys can get online and watch that one. I'll do adultery in this service. What is Jesus' view of adultery? Now, when you talk about adultery, dude, it's going to sound like Jesus is setting up this pen, setting up this idea of excluding people. Here's what he says about adultery. If you have lust in your heart, it's just like you've committed adultery. Who here has ever lust in your heart? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> it's just like it. In fact, maybe you step on some more toes. If you're divorced, if you're divorced for any reason other than marital unfaithfulness, and you remarry, Jesus says he sees you as an adulterer. Ouch. Right? Now that excludes a lot of people. That makes a lot of people adulterers, Jesus. Well, you just call them like half the people in our culture adulterers, Jesus. What are you doing? Are you saying they can't come into faith? Are you saying they're excluded? Are you saying they're over there? No. How does Jesus deal with adulterers? How does Jesus, what does he do when he finds someone caught in adultery? You know the, the, the story of the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. So you need to read it. Copy that down. You can read it this afternoon. This is why it goes. These people brought this girl caught in adultery to Jesus to condemn her to trap Jesus. And Jesus, in the moment, doesn't pay attention to the trap or the argument. Instead, looks straight at the, the girl and realizes that this person is important. This person is allowed to join him in his faith, in his following. So after some scribbling on the ground and, and some other words that he gives, they all drop their stones, because that's what they were going to do. They were going to stone her. And they all left. And he says, well, where, where is your, where are those who condemn you? Where are those who say you can't come in? Where are those who say that you need to die for what you've done? Where are those that say you're excluded? He says, they're all gone. Says, and I'm not condemning you either. Go and say no more. You see? You see how Jesus does it? That's the way we need to live it out. Go to them. Respect them. Invite them. Love them. Appreciate them, be friends with them, and let Jesus' love flow through that. Now, are there truths? Are there realities? Are there things that God might want to change in them? Yes, but there might be things God wants to change in you. But we are all accepted in this faith. It's not our right to say, You can't come. In fact, it's our duty as a church for the unchurched to go. And make friends with them. Amen? Hey, band's going to come up here. Band's going to come up. We're going to sing a, a, a last song here. Can we pray for us? Can we pray for us as God might uh, speak in our lives and, and challenge us? Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you are alive during this conversation. We know that this is a tough conversation. 
And Father, as we wander through this conversation, we desperately desire to be a church, to be your church, a group of Jesus people following a Jesus purpose. We desperately desire to see uh, the people that are outside be welcomed in. And Father, each and every one of us has an idea of what that person looks like. We probably have an idea of a place or a person that we won't go to. Father, I pray that you'd help us to reconcile with those borders and those fences that we need to jump. And that you'd empower us through your love to do just that. To go. To break down barriers. And to reach people that desperately need to know your love. Shown through our love and respect for them. Father, I pray specifically for the individual today who has a, someone pop up in their brain. Right now, they can think specifically of an individual. I pray that you would encourage them with boldness and strength in your love, that they would go to that person in love and respect and begin to uh, friend them, woo them. Father, that you would uh, reach out to them in a powerful way. That you'd open up the doors and the windows and possible conversation points and Father, some of them might not even be ready even to think about church. Some of them are ready even to talk about Jesus because of the way the church or has happened in the past has been so much pain. But Father, I pray that these people, your people, would be empowered with your love and that they could be Jesus incognito to them. Reaching out to them, connecting with them, knowing that the connection to the church is through the Jesus people for Jesus' purpose. So, Father, bless us today. Father, I bless these, your people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just do it, Lord. Just do it. Amen. We love you guys. Love to talk or pray. We're here for you. Uh, the uh, society needs to start in about 10 minutes.